You're listening to the Bootstrap SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they built their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey folks, with us today, Ari Stavchansky, founder of Data Clay. Ari, super happy to have you. Thank you so much, Nicholas. Very happy to be here. Thanks for bringing me on. Awesome. Let's dive right in. What problem does DataClay solve? So we solve the problem of workflow in the post-production and motion graphics design space. Um, a lot of our customers uh, are inundated with data that they have to get into their content. And we solve the kind of laborious process of creating video content based off of that data that they have to put into their content. So uh, I'd say we are a workflow automation company. Uh, we provide tools and services that enable automation of workflow, specifically in the post-production and motion graphics design world. Um, so yeah, that's what we do. Okay. Who's the typical customer for that? Uh, great question. Um, so it's really any person, a professional working in a capacity that is creating video on behalf of a enterprise for the purpose of communication with uh, their customers um, or fans. Um, I would say <clears throat> our customers are kind of segmented into a few, uh, uh, you know, verticals. We've got uh, sports and gaming, we've got uh, advertising agencies, we've got technology companies, um, and we have, uh, you know, broadcasters. And so uh, all these organizations, these enterprises that fall into these segments, um, they'll usually have like a team of video producers, people who are creating video with Adobe tools, um, you know, creative types, but then we also have developer types. Uh, our software kind of is in the bridge between the creative and the data and, you know, development. Uh, so we get both kinds of people, but we're those even even so that they're developers and designers working with our software, they're all creating video content. Got it. And then it's at least in like this Twitter and tech bubble. That's quite a quite a unique set software that that you have there. How did you stumble upon that problem? Right. So uh, I myself come from a visual effects design and motion graphics design background. I've worked in studios uh, in Chicago and in Austin, Texas. I've worked with studios in Los Angeles and New York, basically creating uh, uh, content. And I realized that a lot of the producers that I was working with kind of had requests for, um, you know, reversioning the content for different languages, different markets. And it just got to be very, very, um, monotonous and boring the job to, to do all of that. And I realized, you know, I didn't go to school. <laughs> I didn't develop my creative skills to do this kind of robotic, you know, um, monotonous work. And so I just basically designed a software, a, a methodology, a tech series of techniques that would help to automate this kind of process specifically for video, uh, professional video producers. And, um, you know, I, I, I released a, a, a beta version 
I showed it to a lot of different people in the industry. They were really, and they enjoyed the approach that I was taking with the product. And, you know, they were like, you know, you got to stand behind this, grow it, add more features. Like this is really good. Um, and so that's kind of how it started is I myself encountered the problem, uh, in the studio space and I used my technical skills to build a solution. And then through, uh, talking to people in the community, I basically built it into a generalized product that people could install and use. And then we eventually documented it and, uh, we connected with some resellers and they were able to sell the software, license the software to customers that we had no idea how to reach. So that kind of grew. And since then it's been just kind of an upwards trajectory. So, yeah. Understood. So how did you initially get that, got that off the ground just by, by having the network or how did you get like the first 10 paying customers? Right. So, um, we, uh, partnered with a reseller in New York city that specifically focuses on software for broadcasters and high-end, uh, video post-production facilities. Um, they are named AE scripts. You can go to their site, aescripts.com. And it's a, it's a, a very, very, um, kind of community centric reseller. Uh, they like to highlight what professionals are doing in the community. They like to highlight third party developers for Adobe, uh, After Effects, uh, as, as a host app, as a, as the compositor. And so we, um, that, that's where it started. They agreed to basically showcase our product, uh, on their site. And that um, enabled us to, uh, sell the uh, license, the software in a, in a nice framework. That's how it got started. That's super intriguing because I, to be honest with you, at least I, my, like the PLG circles barely hear of people like using resellers as like a distribution uh, way. Is that still what you're doing? Like really until today or is, do you, did you layer like other marketing or acquisition channels on top of that by now? That's a great question. Um, so once we recognized that the market was really, you know, it, it was being received well by the market and that customers were buying, we made the strategic decision to actually start our own storefront on our, on our own domain on dataclay.com. And then we started, you know, doing some marketing work, some traffic control to get people, customers, potential customers to come to our website and buy from us directly. And I would say at this point, um, you know, we, the sales from our direct to consumer are higher than from our initial reseller relationship. Although we, we still have a great relationship with them. Um, we continue to have a great relationship. Uh, they are one of the preeminent, um, forces in the post-production world. Uh, so it would be silly for us to, you know, turn our back on that relationship. Um, and so, yeah, it's continued to, to do well on both channels. Um, we actually just now, after all this time have released a new affiliate marketing program for professionals who are using the, so our software that want to, uh, you know, have some incentive to demonstrate our software. So we have, you know, technology now to give them a link and then we compensate these, uh, affiliates if there's a conversion on a sale. So we're hoping that that generates more revenue. Uh, so we are kind of taking more strides and control over how we're, we're selling and marketing. Interesting. And then for the, for the D2C 
portion of it or like for the thing that goes through your website basically yeah. is that the typical enterprise sales or how does that sales motion actually work for you in this industry yeah it's a great question um so you know our software is capable of being used by a solopreneur all the way up to a team working inside of you know a large enterprise like a fortune 500 enterprise um for the solopreneur they come by they see you know they see the song and dance they they like what they're seeing when they look at the demos and then they they'll buy right then and there uh the so sometimes those sales processes are sorry the sales cycle is very short in that regard uh when you have a larger entity where there are a number of seats that might be needed uh then the sales cycle is obviously larger and longer um but uh but we work with them you know i have datacly has a uh sales head uh who works with those customers to get you know uh, to work with them on pricing on volume discounts on term-based discounts um support package discounts that kind of thing um so there is a little bit it is more involved when you're dealing with an enterprise uh but you know we support teams of all sizes do you feel like in the in the recent times that it's shifting in one uh, direction or the other meaning like more towards enterprise or more towards like the solopreneurs or is it like sure. a rough 50-50 mix for you um i think that it's mostly the uh it's mostly heading towards enterprise and i think that's where we're headed and and the reason is that you know they have a bigger interest in developing systems with our software rather than just like, you know, tool usage. So our software comes in three different tiers. One is, you know, an entry level that allows people to have a perpetual license to the core technology of mapping data into their video composites. Uh, then we have a tier above that that allows them to automate the reversioning of the templates automatically on their desktop and get output on their desktop and then the, the highest tier is really about creating a server uh, whereby the After Effects effectively is turning into a server that's generating content as new data is coming in to our software. So uh, we see more of an adoption of the higher end server based stuff than we are seeing of the desktop and, you know, the sim simple entry level uh, software. So. Got it. And then for those people who might are like in the works of building like an enterprise sales motion or, or maybe think about that, how do you structure your team so that you have the ability to do that? Because in the end, enterprise sales is like a lot of handholding and talking to people. So it takes human effort. So how is your team set up right now so that you're able to, to achieve that? Right. So, um, well, it usually, I think the customer journey usually starts with discovery that we exist, uh, which is in its own right, difficult to do, right? Like, but, but that's the first part. Um, then they, we, we have a YouTube channel that demos the nitty gritty of this top software, like literally how it works and the details of what needs to be set up. So they see these demos and they see the power of the software very quickly and they're extensive. I'm talking about a library, I think of up to like 40 or 50 videos at this point. Um, and they're, you know, some are very long, but some are very short. So they'll see the demo, they'll download a trial. They'll be able to use the software at no cost to them without any interaction from us. 
Uh, and then once they say, oh, we like this, um, then, you know, it moves on to sales discussions. Now, sometimes they'll have like, even before the trial, they'll ask us, can we get on the, on a call with you or a conference call? And we'll get on there and we'll answer questions. We have a really great customer support pro on our team that used to work at Apple as a customer support rep there. Um, we have a very strong technical lead. And then sometimes I'll get on the phone or the conference as well. Um, and just demo the software and, and answer their questions in real time. Um, and, you know, during the trial, we will support them. We have a ticketing based system. They submit tickets, our team, all the team gets that ticket and whoever has time or availability will answer the ticket and get them to a place where they eventually convert into a paying customer. Interesting. I mean, you mentioned that you have a head of sales. So is it basically like the head of sales, you, and then the support rep and the, the technical person working as a team effort or how, how do you structure that? Yeah. Yeah. Usually it's, it gets to be that comprehensive. Uh, we've got all people on board when, you know, a huge company comes to the table. Uh, we get very excited and, and obviously we want to make the sales. So we want to represent ourselves as a company rather than, you know, just some person making a software <laughs> in the of their room, you know? Um, so. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, then React Squad is for you. A boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast growth startups. Get a 14-day risk-free trial and a transparent price of $95 per hour. Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. I would love to double click on the, the library of 40 to 50 demos you have on YouTube because I know a lot of companies that have, they have like one or two videos on YouTube of their, like demoing their software. Most of them are like four years old. So the software already looks like way different. I think my main question is at which point did you see that those demos are working for you because nobody's producing 50 videos just like out of gut feeling, basically. So I think that's, a su I, I don't see that often and I think it could be extremely valuable for, for people to use. So what did you see that you made the decision, hey, this is worth it, let's do it? Yeah, well, I mean, so our software is pretty sophisticated. Uh, it's feature rich. Um, there's a lot a person can do with it. Um, and for me, it's like, you know, I built the original incarnation of the software and I was like excited to show people. Right. So there's, there's that, there's just the excitement of sharing with the community that has been helping you and you're giving back. And so, um, I also have a teaching background. I went, I was in academia for a long time. I, I actually have a doctorate. And after I earned my doctorate, I taught Uh, undergraduates and graduate students at the university level and curriculum curriculum development was one of my tasks. Like I had to learn how to teach. And so that idea of breaking down topics into smaller ones that are digestible uh, was a skill that I had developed already. And so when I had this product and I had all these features and I had to kind of explain the techniques of how this thing works and how a producer has to come down uh, and approach the projects that they use with our software. Um, it helped me create these kind of smaller video videos, right? Um, we do still have that problem though of, um, of, you know, the interface being different in the video than what it is when they 
download it. And so, you know, it's, it's, it is, there is a risk there of relying, of having reliance on the demos that are very old. Um, but you know, it still helps communicate the general idea. And I think what I'm realizing is that, you know, a better approach is to, you know, do things like webinars, you know, live inter interactions, record them, and then, and then get what is relevant from those live streams into the social channels. And, and instead of, you know, pre-preparing uh, uh, an intense amount of video, just go out there, do it, and then edit it down into intelligible segments for, you know, for marketing purposes. Um, so I'd say though, that we, re we recognized it once we saw the views go up <laughs> and, uh, we would get tickets, uh, interested prospective customers, tickets referring to the videos. You know, they would say, I saw this happen in the video and for some reason I can't do it. What am I doing wrong? Or, you know, I saw this in the video and, um, I think it could be improved like this. And then we would say, oh, we already did that because that video is three years old, you know? Um, so we, we know that they're working, um, but I think also people learn differently. So we put a lot of investment in technical writing and in technical document documentation. And that helps a great deal because people learn differently. And then also it helps with search engine optimization. Obviously, the more info you have about your product in a more detailed, nuanced way, the more you're going to get indexed and the more you'll become the, the product itself kind of becomes an authority. So I think I think documentation is something that a lot of these SaaS companies kind of overlook uh, because it's an opportunity to both educate but also gain awareness out there by crawlers and and you know just links uh, sinking into you. Um, so that's you know I think I'm a very strong proponent of documentation. I think that's super interesting because nowadays, like in product-led growth, it's like all the rage to ungate your product. And it's basically what you're doing by having the demos. Like nobody, they don't even need to, to start the trial or to, to start using it. They can already peek inside, see if it is fitting their use case and then get, get, get into it basically. So I think this is a super smart uh, technique. I would love to switch gears a bit. Sure. You're nine years in right now. Is that yeah, correct? About, about nine years in. Yeah. And August yeah. will be nine years in. Mm -hmm. Got yeah. it. Yeah. And what I see a lot and what I already see a bit with early note, even though we're only like five, close to like five years in, it's that sometimes you, you start peeking left and right on, on what, what else to do. So is there, did you have that? like, I don't know, like shiny object syndrome that you like looked left and right uh, and like other things looked intriguing all of the sudden just because you were not bored, but just like were looking for novelty or how, how did it, how does it feel to be nine years, years in for you? You see all this gray hair? That's how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> um, so being, being nine years in tech, it's kind of like dog years, right? Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I uh, I do have shiny object syndrome. I think anybody in tech does. I mean, we love advancements, right? We love new toys. I mean, technology is a beautiful thing when it's done right and when it's used used correctly and improves the human condition. Um, and I think you know uh, it's been like that since the beginning. You know, we released the software. There were a few players in our space. Uh, we started to eat away at our, some of the market. 
our piece of the pie. And then all of a sudden the competitors start encroaching and they see what you do and everybody wants to have a part of something good. And, you know, it competition keeps you on your toes. Uh, I think it's important to work and discuss with competitors. Uh, obviously, you know, it's a, a business is a bit of a game and you want to win that game, but you know, you don't want to have poor sportsmanship. So there's an element of recognizing that competition is good. Competition is healthy. It's good for the owners of the business, but it's also good for the consumer. Um, and then, you know, I think, uh, there's other technological things like, uh, artificial intelligence, like how are we going to not address that? Right. Um, so, you know, yes, artificial intelligence worries myself as probably it does every other entrepreneur that's been around as long as we have. And I mean, you know, the trick is, I think is to not be afraid and to embrace the changes and to really think critically of how you can embrace the new advancements instead of, uh, you know, getting scared. Like it's just, it's not going to help. Um, so it, it's something that, uh, you know, I, I, currently I'm thinking through with, uh, some colleagues about how to incorporate generative AI into our software and our offerings. And, um, I think it's, it's exciting. Uh, if we pull it off, I think it's great. Um, I think the death of a company is usually because, uh, the heads just get tired. They let the product kind of rot is what I call it. Like code rot. Uh, they don't improve things. They don't build ancillary products around their core product. Um, and so I think uh, it does take energy. And, you know, as you grow through being a business owner and seeing growth, I do think it's important to have a mentor. I think it is important to have some kind of coaching available to, 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 to keep the steam in the engine, so to speak, right? Like, uh, nine years again, it's a long time, but you know, we've seen stories where, for example, you have people like MailChimp, companies like MailChimp, they worked 25 years before Intuit acquired them, right? I mean, it's not so much about the time. I think it's about the journey and how you handle the ups and downs. And believe me, there are high highs and there are low lows. Um, and so there is a need, I think, for founders specifically to gain some kind of support, external support outside of the company through mentorship or through some kind of uh, executive coaching. Um, because there are, there are just so many unknowns running a business that it can really take a toll. So, you know, I think these, again, this white hair says something about the toll <laughs> that it's already taken, but I'm, I'm enjoying the process. I think that's, that's, uh, an amazing fun to wrap up. Thanks for, for being yeah. so open. That was a super fun and uh, interesting chat. Sure. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again. If you like this episode, then you'll love the SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node, with actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit earlynode.com to subscribe.